The Gospel today is from the book of Matthew, the ninth chapter. Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and curing every disease and every sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Then Jesus summoned his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to cure every disease and every sickness. These are the names of the 12 apostles. First, Simon, also known as Peter, and his brother Andrew, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, Simon, the Canaanian, and Judas Iscariot, the one who betrayed him. These 12 Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. As you go, proclaim the good news. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Cure the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. You received without payment, give without payment. Take no gold or silver or copper in your belts, no bag for your journey, or two tunics or sandals or a staff, for laborers deserve their food. Whatever town or village you enter, find out who in it is worthy and stay there until you leave. As you enter the house, greet it. If the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, Shake off the dust from your feet as you leave that house or town. Truly, I tell you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for that town. See, I am sending you out like sheep into the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of them, for they will hate you or hand you over to councils and flog you in their synagogues, and you will be dragged before governors and kings because of me as a testimony to them and the Gentiles. When they hand you over, do not worry about how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you at that time, for it is not you who speak, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Brother will betray brother to death, and a father his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death, and you will be hated by all because of my name, but the one who endures to the end will be saved." When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly I tell you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. The Gospel of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Kathy. And grace and peace to you all in the name of Jesus. Amen. Just a note, I begin this sermon by talking about an incident of racist violence. So if you need to, please feel free to mute or to walk away. It was five years ago this week when Dylan Roof walked into Emmanuel African Methodist Episcopal Church in Charleston, South Carolina, sat down, participated in Bible study and prayer, and then pulled out a gun 
and killed nine people. Clementa Pinckney, Cynthia Marie Graham Hurd, Susie Jackson, Ethel Lee Lance, DePayne Middleton Doctor, Tawanza Sanders, Daniel Lee Simmons, Sharonda Coleman Singleton, and Myra Thompson. It was the deadliest attack in a house of worship in the U.S. to date, though it is worth noting that this record has already been eclipsed twice in the past five years. All nine victims at Mother Emanuel were black, and the shooter was white, and he was motivated by his sense of white superiority to enact violence on these nine people who had welcomed him into their church with words of peace. And it might be easy enough for us to say, well, we're not like him. We've got nothing to do with this guy. But Dylan Roof, the shooter, is Lutheran. Baptized and confirmed by ELCA pastors just like me and Beth. He knew the hymns we sing, the prayers we pray, the creeds we recite. And while I am pretty sure that he did not learn hatred in his church, neither did his church give him the tools to resist it. The church did not give him a story that was bigger or more compelling than the story white supremacy told him. And so that was the story he lived by. A deacon posted online a couple of months ago in a clergy group I'm part of. She said, imagine this. One night as you are closing up at church, an angel appears to you in the sanctuary, all flames and swords and eyeballs, and says, Fear not, dear child of God. I come with a message. There is a young person coming to you or to your church, worshiping, engaging in your education programs, coming to coffee hour. And this person is on the path to becoming another Dylan Roof. But fear not, their path is not yet set. You and your community have the power to help change this path. So what will you change? What will you do differently? Jesus, when he sends his disciples out in the reading today, says, go nowhere near the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans. Instead, he sends his disciples to their own people. I think about this story in the light of how many of you have responded to what has happened in our metro after the murder of George Floyd. God bless you, Mount Olivet, because you knew that what we are witnessing has something to do with our faith. You knew that God's heart aches and rages at the enduring legacy and reality of racism. 
You knew that God is calling us to be a community partnering with God in the world. And so you've been reaching out to me and Pastor Beth. And do you know what most of you are asking? What can we do? Where can we volunteer? What donation needs are there? You want to roll up your sleeves and get to work. And I want to be clear, that is a good thing. That is not bad at all. And in fact, our church is doing this. We're rolling up our sleeves and plunging right into the evolving needs in our metro. Our youth room isn't being used for youth right now, so it's being used as a warehouse for diapers and wipes and formula stored there until someone can shuttle it to one of the distribution sites in Minneapolis and St. Paul. And I hope you all contribute and volunteer there. And also, I think that maybe in our knee-jerk impulse to be of use and to rush out and do good in neighborhoods that don't look like most of ours, we might miss where God actually wants to send us in the ongoing work to undo racism in America. My ethics professor in seminary would always say, you have heard it said, don't just stand there, do something. But I say unto you, don't just do something, stand there. The doing something, that we know how to do, and we do it well. But I have a suspicion that sending diapers and donations and sweeping the streets of glass and debris and trying our best to show kindness to everyone is not going to be quite enough to undo the centuries of trauma and separation that racism has unleashed. I actually don't know what will, but I do know that Jesus sends his disciples to their own people and so maybe God isn't sending us at Mount Olivet primarily to Minneapolis and St. Paul. Maybe God is sending us to one another. And this is what I think it means to stand there. Not to dive into unexamined action, but to take stock of where we are and ask how we might partner with God in our life together here to stand in the courage of where we've trusted God enough to be changed already, and also in the honest reckoning with the opportunities we've missed along the way. Whatever work God has for us outside these walls in the movement to end racism, God is sending us to each other too. Because here's the thing, if that angel did appear to me, saying that a person who could be the next Dylan Roof worshipped at Mount Olivet, I would understand. It's not that I think any of our children are being actively radicalized by hate groups, but if one were, they might not be hearing a story about race here that is bigger 
or more compelling than the story white supremacy is telling him. And I don't know what I would tell that angel about what specifically needs to change at Mount Olivet or what I would do differently. But I think I'd start by saying that God invites us to tell a better story and that God needs us to tell it together. And the story God needs us to tell is the same story that Jesus tells his disciples this morning. It's a short story, but it's a doozy. The kingdom of heaven has come near. And in his instructions to his disciples today, Jesus shows us the peculiar and particular way that we can tell it. Because this story is not told so much by our speaking as by our listening, not so much by our welcoming as by our finding welcome, not so much by our preparedness, but our willingness to be sent on a journey, not so much by us having all the answers as by trusting that the Spirit will give us the words when we need them. Not so much by the preservation of outward peace, but by our endurance and perseverance through conflict that Martin Luther King Jr. called constructive nonviolent tension that is necessary for growth. The kingdom of heaven has come near. It's a story that means that something holy is happening here in our lives, in our world. Something so enticing that it's worth it for us to leave our regularly scheduled programming, our ways of thinking and acting. The kingdom of heaven has come near, which means that there is nothing, nothing that separates us from God. And each one of us is fully and holy and always held in God's love. And so what then do we need to fear? The kingdom of heaven has come near, and so there is no power of death that has not already been cast down. And we know that God's dream for us, a dream where we are united in beloved community, is already being made real. And so our lives can be dedicated to uprooting and dismantling everything that stands in the way of the joy of that dream. A story like that is a story worth living for. It's the pearl of great price, the invitation that convinces us to leave behind the things we've known for a shot at living that dream. To lay down our gold and silver and belts and bags in exchange for the community that we will find ahead. To set aside our comfort, our privilege, our fear of failure in exchange for a new way of being a way that takes us beyond the grip of racism. The kingdom of heaven has come near, and that is God's story. And it's going to take all of us to, take, to tell it. The harvest is plentiful, Jesus reminds us, but the laborers are few. Oh, but what can I do, you think? I'm a busy parent. I'm just a kid. I live in a nursing home. 
what can I do to be a part of taking apart America's greatest sin? Well, wherever you are, you have a brain. You have a heart. You have a soul. You have community. And those are ingredients that God likes to work with. Stand there with what you have and be sent. And I know it's hard. It takes an extraordinary amount of trust and courage. But here's the thing that gives me hope. We already know how to trust God in here. I've watched all of you do it time and time again. I've prayed for you before your surgeries. I've seen you adjust to your aging parents or children. I've gathered with you at the graves of your loved ones. I've stood with you there at all these thresholds between the past and the future, these doorways to the unknown, and every single time bound to all of it, you have trusted that God will be with you, though you do not know the way. And so you make your way with courage and trust. This is not so different. I don't know how I'd answer the angel about what needs to change here, but I would say that the blessing we have is that we know what it means to set out on hard journeys together. And we, we trust that God is sending us to each other and that God will make a way. And for that, I am grateful. Thanks be to God. Amen.